0: This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parsha Tashavua will be delivered by Rav uh, Alex Israel. Our Parsha this week, Parsha Baloticha, is a phenomenally dramatic Parsha. The first uh, feature of drama, which uh, might not be apparent to everybody who reads or, or reads the Parsha. Is the fact that Bene Israel, after almost an entire year at Har Sinai, journeyed forwards to the Promised Land. We read in Parak uh, Yud, Pasuk Yud Aleph, Vehi B'Shana Hashenit, B'Chodesh Hasheni, Be'Strim B'Chodesh Na'ala Ha'Anan, Me'al Mishkan Ha'Idut, V'Yisub Bene Israel Mashehem B'Midbar Sinai, V'Yishkon Ha'Anan B'Midbar Paran. And it was in the second year and second month on the twentieth of the month. The cloud went up above the um, Mishkan and Bnei Israel embark on their travels from Midbar Sinai and they go to Midbar Paran. The last time Bnei Israel had travelled was virtually a year earlier in the third month of the first year in the Midbar and now we're on the 20th of the second month in other words a year later and during this year a lot has happened. We received the Torah we sinned at the Egel, we received the second Uchot built the Mishkan and in fact much of Parashat Pahalotcha gets us ready for travel for example we see the various signal systems the systems of the cloud of fire and the pillar of uh, sorry the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud which were there to signal when we were to travel and in which direction we were to travel and also when the camp was to come to a halt similarly there was a system of trumpets Silver trumpets, which were there to congregate the camp or to disperse to break camp. So B'nai Israel are leaving Harsinai and obviously they are planning to go to Eretz Israel. Um, and that is where the plan, the, the, the plan is, is, is sending us. So that is a tremendously exciting, um, event to take place in the Parsha. However, what seems to um, send a few obstacles into the way of this journey to Eretz Yisrael is chapter 11 Perak Yud Aleph, the parasha of Kivrot HaTa'ava and when we look at the story of Kivrot Ta'ava, which literally means that's the name of the place, it means the graves of the lusters or the graves of the voluptuous um, we have to describe a few questions and if try and get to the bottom of this story. And really, chapter 11, Kivrana Tavai, is a very difficult story. Let me outline at least uh, three questions, and then we shall set about trying to solve them. The first question that we have on this week's, uh, on on this Parsha of Aleph is its strange format. The parasha seems to tell two stories, and uh, mixes them, mixes in between them. And I think I'm going to have to tell the story in order to illustrate this question, but that won't be a problem. That's what we need to do. The story of Kivrot Tava or the structure of Perikyut Aleph, goes in the following way. It starts off, and I'm going to start in Pasuk Dalad, There is a strange and curious lusting in the camp, where the people sit and cry, and they say, There is tremendous desire for meat, for flesh. And the people say, we remember the fish that we ate for, in Egypt for free. We remember, and now this is not fish, but we remember the kishuim, the avatichim, we don't quite know what fruits these were. And the onions our souls are dry. There is nothing here except the man. The people complain about the food. That is what they do and it seems to reach quite extreme proportions where the people um, are crying at the entrances to their tents and we hear the reaction of God, which is God is angry, God is angry with them and Moshe also, and at this point Moshe experiences a breakdown. Moshe's breakdown comes in the form of a complaint where he actually says to God, please kill me. Please kill me. Um, please kill me, he said. What's his problem? He says uh, very clearly, I cannot bear the weight of this people. He even uses some amazing female metaphors here where he says, um, did I conceive this people? Did I give birth to it? Because you are telling me You are telling me to carry this baby. i are like described like a nursing child, a baby who cries every two minutes because their basic needs are not being met. And he says, you're telling me to carry this baby around like a mother who has to nurse her child and I didn't give, I didn't conceive these children. I didn't give birth to them. I don't want to be the mother who has to answer the cries of the nation every time they need a little bit of food. That's not what I bargained for. So Moshe, in a, in a very strange reaction, throws up his hands in desperation and uh, doesn't know what to do. Um, here we see, and that, that's actually the stage of the problem. I should, uh, I should explain. We see really two problems. There is the problem of the nation who want meat, and now the response is another problem, which is the problem of Moshe, where Moshe says, "I simply cannot bear the heavy load of leadership, and if you do that to me, please kill me. I'm not interested in this anymore." We then move on to the next stage of the story, which is the solution. First, God describes what he's going to do for Moshe. He says, Gather esphali Gather 70 people who are the elders of the people and take them to the tent of meeting and um, they will help you to bear the load of the people. And then he says to the nation, I've got another solution, which is that I'm going, you, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you meat not just for one day, not for 10 days, not for 20 days. A whole month you're going to have it. That's the that's the story. And we see the fulfillment of that in the form of the 70 elders who come and stand around the tent of meeting, around the Mishkan, and the cloud descends, and the Spirit, which is on Moshe, is now... Transmitted or transferred to the 70 elders who each prophesy, uh, We will discuss this, but there are two ways to read that line, and they prophesied either, they did not continue to prophesy, in other words, once alone they prophesied, or and they never um, stopped to prophesy. In other words, they continued with their prophecy all the time. Then there is the interesting um, story of Eldad Medad, But then we see the people gathering their meat. And it tells us here that the wind came along and brought quail from the sea. And they spread a day's walk in this direction and a day's walk in that direction. And they were the height of these quails which had landed on the shores of the Sinai Peninsula was like two amot in each direction a meter high It's quite a number of birds and the people went out for an entire day um, sorry a night and a day and another sorry a day a night and a day and gathered as much as they wanted and what follows there is actually a terrible plague and that's why the place is called the graves of those who lusted Kivrot HaTava that's the story Now, let's outline our questions. We're going to ask three questions and I'm not sure we're going to answer them fully Um, but there'll be room to think about some of these questions beyond the time that we have together beyond this year. Question number one uh, relates to the form of the story. We really see here two stories which are interwoven. Um... One is the story of Moshe, and Moshe's crisis of leadership. And the other is the story of the people's strange, sudden desire for meat. Now, these stories are intertwined. In fact, they're intertwined very carefully. Um, They're intertwined in such a way that um, they're lined up. In other words, there's the problem. First we hear the problem of the people, then the problem of Moshe. Then there is the offered solution by God, God's communication. Again, first, then we have first Moshe's resolution, and then the people. And then we see the fulfillment of what God said, once again, first Moshe, and second the people. In other words, the two stories are, are intertwined. Now they would seem to be separate stories. We could have told the story of the nation. The nation wanted meat. Hashem provi- said, I'll provide you quail. And indeed, they did get quail and they got punished for their, you know, uh, illicit desire. And then we could see, and by, he, by etah he, And it was at that time that Moshe experienced a leadership crisis. And he said, I can't stand these moaning Israelites. And Hashem said, oh, I've got a solution for you. Bring 70 elders to the Mishkan. And 70 elders did come. And they all received prophecy. And this solved Moshe's uh, problem. In other words, we could have separated these stories out very, very easily to make a more easily readable narrative. And also in order to delineate the story. We first have the people's need for meat and the resolution. Moshe's leadership crisis and the resolution in fact, if you look at Devarim Perak Aleph, you will see that in Dvarim Perak Aleph they tell the leadership story at some level, and they ignore the aspect of the meat, so you can separate out the stories. Now, you might tell me, um, maybe they are separate stories. However, it is very clear that they really are a single story. And how do I know they are a single story? They are a single story because they use exactly the same language. The language and the word which is used for each of this, for each of these uh, stories, which is very clear, is the language of uh, to gather. For example, Vayom Hashem al Moshe esfali shivim ish misiknei Israel, gather to me seventy men. Whereas we also see later on, hatzono bakayi shachet lehem um, lahem in kol the ha'am hayam ye asef lehem lahem. or in respect to the meat, it says um, They gathered the Slav. So we have and It would appear that the Torah deliberately puts the two stories together. And the question is using exactly the same vocabulary. And the question is why. Why does God want to merge these two stories? What is the merging of these two stories telling us? So that's problem. That is problem number one, or question number one. How are these two stories interlocked? Question number two is a question about Moshe. Moshe has a leadership crisis here. And the question is, why? We understand that Moshe suffers from uh, the... Um, irritable Bnei Israel, the immature Bnei Israel, who, as he correctly says, sometimes act like infants, like act like children, like babies. And yet, at the same time, we have experienced together with Moshe far more serious problems in the past, where Moshe has stood up and defended the people. The, probably the primary example would be at Har Sinai when he when he comes down the mountain, when he sees them dancing around the Egel. Indeed, he gets angry with the people and he rebukes them, but when he turns around to God, he defends B'nai Israel and he defends their virtue, he asks God for forgiveness. Why does Moshe suddenly uh, lose his nerve here? What is it about this particular story that makes Moshe um, suddenly bemoan his own fate and say, it's enough? It's, 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 this is a very enigmatic question. And the last question that I have, which is the one we're going to probably answer the least, is the uh, Shivim Zakenim. Uh, Moshe has a leadership crisis and uh, he appoints Shivim Zakenim. Seventy elders listen to or or are able to listen in on Moshe's Nouveau, We'll elaborate later. And uh, we have 70 70 representatives. Here they're called the way they're described is 70 of the elders of Israel that you know they are you know they are the elders the people and their officers and they are going to experience prophecy. However, throughout Sefer Bamidbar and throughout Sefer Tvarim we don't see these elders particularly um, adopting a leadership role. When we have the problem of the Miraclem in next week's parsha, the zekinim do not stand up to be counted. It is just Mosh it is just Yehoshua and Kalev against the nation. In the rebellion of Korach, the shirim zekinim are nowhere to be found. In the story of uh, in the story of Pinchas, um, we see there that he turns around and uh, is looking for some support. And indeed, there in that story, it says he turns around to the Rachei Ha'am, for some solutions, but it never mentions the Zikeinim here. It says, But it doesn't mention the Zikeinim. And therefore, my question is, these Zikeinim, as they are described in Parashah B'alotcha, are meant to help you with the load of leadership. It says that they will, Moshe says, I cannot bear the heavy weight of this people. And God says, they will carry with you the people, and you will not carry it alone. But we never see them carrying with him. Moshe still carries the weight of the nation all alone. And therefore, what exactly have these shivim zakenim helped? I would add that we already have had shivim zakenim mentioned earlier on in the Torah. In Sefer Shemot, we saw shivim zakenim who went up Harsinai, who had an experience of revelation on Harsinai, um, there were already 70 elders in the camp. The 70 elders were meant to hold the fort. When uh, Moshe was up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, there we were told in Shemot, Peret Haftalad, that uh, Aaron and Kor were meant to uh, deal with the people. But, uh, there were also Shivim Zakinim, and we wonder what happened to the Shivim Zakinim there. The Shivim Zakinim weren't able to stop the egel. likewise, here, we wonder what role did the Shivim Zakinim play. So we have several questions, and I think we should go about trying to answer them. So let's begin in the order in which we we started. Um, well, you know what, we'll we'll let you start off with the, maybe the middle question, the one about Moshe. Why does Moshe experience such a sense of crisis here that he feels unable to represent the people and instead he wants to throw up his hands and actually die? In fact, he uses very similar phrases like um, If I find favor in your eyes, the same language he uses at the Agel, but he, he uses it here. In reverse, um, how do we understand this? And I think the easiest way to appreciate this is Moshe's is to understand the, the timing of this story. I already mentioned in my opening remarks that this story takes place a year after they have been at um, a year after they have been at Har Sinai. A year earlier, they travelled from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, and we had also complaints about food and water. We had complaints and needs for food, and there, if you recall, in uh, Shemot, Perek Tetzayin and Yud Zayin, Hashem answered their calls in Marah He gave them water. In the next place, he gave them uh, he gave them food with the man and slav, and again water. Then there was no sense of complaint. There was no sense of irritation on Moshe's part. And the reason for that is because they were just out of Egypt. They were used to having their provisions provided in Egypt. They were a slave nation. However, I think now, we are now in the second year of the Midbar. Uh, we are now a year on. Am Israel have experienced a year of freedom. But more than that, Am Israel have learnt to trust God. They have had a year of eating the man. Am Israel have had a year in which God has protected them. Am Yisrael had a year in which they've accepted the Torah and learnt to live an entire new, new mode of living. And one would anticipate that Am Yisrael would be more mature. I want to anticipate that Am Yisrael would have, would have grown up. Um, it could be that from the people's perspective, we forget that, uh, for a year they had encamped at Har Sinai and this is the first time they have actually traveled. And it could be that what they simply do is uh, revert back into the mode of a year, a year earlier, or maybe put it, put it differently. They were scared by the challenges of the way. They were frightened that maybe the man would not fall in the wilderness in the same way that it had fallen at the foot of Mount Sinai. And therefore they, they complained. But whichever way, Moshe anticipated that the people would, have ex- would exhibit a greater maturity. And maybe that's why he uses the metaphor of a baby. He says, I thought the baby had grown up. I thought the baby would be able to understand that even though there was no food right now, or even though they couldn't have their meat, um, we would find a solution. Any parent of small children sometimes has this experience where you're out for the day, or you're out for something, and the child needs food, and the child needs food now! And you sort of turn around and say, can't you just hold on a little bit? Can't you just wait? We're going to be home in a short amount of time. Why can't you uh, be a little bit patient, have a little bit of understanding that we'll be home in 10 minutes? And the child says, no, but I'm hungry. This is how Amistra El are, are behaving as as a little child. It is, it is fascinating um, that the desire for meat comes at this point because many people have pointed out that as I said, we are exactly a year after after the Am have arrived at Har Sinai. It's interesting that uh, when we read in Sefer Shemot, we read that they received the man and the slav together with the man, the quail together with the man. In the first year, it arrived, and we get exactly the date on which it had happened on the fifteenth of the second month of the year they came out of Egypt. In other words, on the fifteenth of Er, they received slav. This story takes place on the 23rd, the 23rd of uh, E.R., in the second year. It is exactly a uh, solar year later, and um, that's probably why the Slav fall again. (laughs) The Slav were almost anticipated. You wonder whether the people's desire for meat was that they understood the migration patterns of the birds, and they knew that the birds were due, and they're saying, you know, where is our meat? Now I have to say that that doesn't match the psukim because they say, Zachare and yet you gain the sense that they're, uh, it's a year later and they're anticipating the meat, uh, the arrival of these migrating birds, and they want their meat, and uh, they simply break down with their desire for this flesh, and Moshe grows desperate with their immaturity and that might explain Moshe's uncharacteristic um, he's just his desperation his uncharacteristic desperation because he says if we've made no progress in a year how are we ever going to make any progress this generation simply will never emancipate themselves from a slave mindset this generation will never be able to mature and in fact Ironically, what is what is uh, revealed here comes to it, its fruition in Parashat Shalachacha as this entire generation are condemned to die in the wilderness. They really will not be able to hack it. They really will not be able to manage to survive the arduous uh, entry into Eretz Canaan and therefore they die in the desert and a new generation who have grown up in freedom take over. So that goes to explain... Moshe's desperation. But we still have to explain how these two stories are mixed together, two stories which could easily be described as separate stories. And here I would like to relate to an idea that I heard some years ago from Rav khanan Samet. The question is whether the two problems are unrelated. And Rav Samet noticed that in the parasha there are many repetitive words, words which repeat themselves. I've already mentioned one of them, which is the notion of Asaf, alef samachpe, the notion of gathering, which I believe comes up uh, 14 times in the parasha. And here the word Asaf can has be used um, for the notion of gathering the 70 elders together, or alternatively, for gathering the Slav, telling us that this is a, sing- a single story. However, there is a, a different word which comes up or two different words which come up multiple times. And these words are somewhat obvious. The first one is the word Basar. The people request meat. And the word Basar comes up several, several times in the story. Basar, Basar, all the time. Basar. The people start off by saying Mi um, Basar. Later on um, we see here when the when, when Moshe complains he says um may ani basar la tekhala am?" where do i have meat that the people ki of qeilele mortan alanu basar and uh, later on hashem says ki bkhitem baznaile mor mi basar ki tov lodi mitzva ratza hashem lachem basar va khotem a phrase repeated all the time when moshe says to god atamarta basar tina maklu goral shamim Basar, Basar, Basar. This is balanced with a different word which comes up also several times. The word Basar comes up eight times. Another word which comes up almost as many times is the word Ruach. The word Ruach. And here we see it first come along in Pasuk Yudh Zayin. I will take the Spirit which, which is on you and I will place it upon the 70 elders. And indeed, on we see this uh, where it says, V'yereh Hashem um, Ba'anan, God comes down in the cloud, Veda elav, V'yatsal min ha-ruach, H'shelav, V'yitain al-shibimishziknei Yisrael, V'yakanoach alehem ruach V'yitnabu velo yasafu, it is the ruach, which creates um, prophecy. And we see this again in Chavav, V'tanach alehem ha-ruach, the word Ruach again and again and again. In fact, Ruach comes up six times. Interestingly enough, how does the Slav come along? The word Ruach is not only used in a spiritual context. The word appears in Pasuk Lamed Aleph in the story of the meat. The nasa meit and the wind was sent from God and it, it, it pulled or pushed or gathered all of the slav all of the quail from the from the sea, etc. etc. What Rev El Khanan Samat points out is that here we have a Titanic struggle between the Basar and the Ruach. Between the meats, the flesh, the very physical and the ruach, the 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 spiritual, the ephemeral, the that which is connected to God. Um, and it would appear that uh, whereas at first glance the problem that people are relating to is something which is physical, a physical need a physical desire what is really at stake here is a spiritual problem an emotional problem, a problem which relates to the vision of what the entire enterprise of the journey to Eretz Israel is about after all is it all about the now, I need to meet now if I don't have meat now then I can't go on or do we have a wider vision, a spiritual vision, a clearer sense of what we're going to, of what our mission is, which allows us to have the um, the long view, the ability to be able to withstand temporal problems in order for a... a temporary problems for a timeless aim. And uh, Chazal, in their comments here, and I'll mention two comments of Rashi, um identify that the problem is not in the people's stomachs, but it really is in their minds or in their emotional state of being. By the way, you already sense it in the Pesukim, when the people say, um, We remember the fish that we ate for free in Egypt and all the other things. But The word nefesh actually means something physical in the Tanakh. Our bodies are dry. But uh, we all think of nefesh in a spiritual sense. Rashi claims that there is a spiritual problem afoot here. I'll give you a few examples. He, He says, That we ate free in Egypt. and he That all the commentaries say, what, you ate fish for free in Egypt? And he says, Rashi says, Um, Um, What is chinam? What do you mean they ate for free? Chinam in a mitzvot. When they ate in Egypt, they ate without any religious restrictions. They ate without religious restriction, without all the different laws, without the dietary laws. It's not only the dietary laws which are irking Bnei Israel. it is other things too, because if you look in Pasuk Yud, where it says they cried in their families, Rashi points out, not they cried in family groupings but rather al iske mishpachot they cried about the family laws alara yotaneh about the forbidden laws which were uh, in the realm of the sexual restrictions of the torah according to this the people complain well, the question is why they complain at this given juncture in time some will argue that they complain because they're on the road and whenever people are travelling, they're more irritable, they're away from their home comforts. Ah, I see, like they've got used to doing camping next to this one and that one. Now, the first time they have to walk, to have to travel, old people, young people, the heat, it must have been difficult, and that might be why they're complaining about the food. Um, we all know that sometimes on a, on a long flight or when we're stuck at the airport, we get uh, somewhat on edge. But there could be a different reason. And again, here Rashi comments that what's happened here is not only that they're on their way to Israel, but they have left Har Sinai. And Chazal have this wonderful metaphor that Am Yisrael leave Har Sinai ha-boreach mi beit ha-sefer, as a child who runs out of school on the last day of school or after the last hour of classes, running out of school to play. But Israel had uh, just left the arena of the Torah the place where they had uh, dwelt in the shadow of that great mountain, Harsinai, the mountain which represented Matan Torah. And suddenly they move away from that location, a three days journey away, detached from Harsinai, and probably some of them thought, "Okay, school's out, now we've left Harsinai, we are free of those restrictions. And it dawns upon them that they are walking away from Harsinai with an entire set of laws, an entire life's mission, with their heaviness, that this covenant that they sealed the Har Sinai, is really for all time. And this is is in fact the challenge of the Basar against the Ruach. The people are saying, but I want to follow my immediate desires. And and maybe I'm conceptualizing this too much, but I, I don't really think the people... We're rallying against the rules, but I think that at this moment we see a clash between the ruach, between spiritual visions, spiritual horizons, and the basar, and the immediate physical needs. And much of our Jewish uh, (laughs) angst, our Jewish guilt, many of our struggles are exactly between that, between the immediate desire to do something, and the sense that the Torah looks at things in a broader sense, in a longer term vision. And uh, here we have the challenge between the Basar and the Ruach. And this might also go some way to understand Moshe's anxiety. After all, their previous request for Basar had been before they got Torah. Now, after they have Torah, why don't they see the Ruach themselves? Why don't they understand the the notion of the spiritual? Why are they so um, engaged, immersed in the now, in the Basar, as opposed to the Ruach? I hope that you understand that the Torah, and now we understand how to answer our first question, the Torah deliberately interwove these two stories. The story which deals with Moshe's crisis and the story of the meat, because the meat represents the basar, and the solution for Moshe deals with ruach, spirituality, the word of God coming to the people. And what it's doing by interlocking these stories, by interweaving these stories, is to say that really it's not just a problem of meat which has a technical solution and a problem of leadership which has also a technical solution really we are seeing a titanic struggle an unbelievable seesaw between Basar and Ruach unfortunately in this story it seems like the Ruach loses the day even in terms of the number of instances Basar turns up 8 times and Ruach, the word Ruach only only features 6 times in the story in other words the Basar wins out, and I guess that's why this story is known as Kivrot the graves of the voluptuous, the people die and they have to be buried. It's actually a play. So that is the, the drama of, of, of Kivrot the Basar against the Ruach, the inability of the people to see the spiritual vision over and above, their desire, their instinct, their impulses, their, their yitzir, their lusting. And here we come to the last problem, which is the problem of the zikenim. We don't see the zikenim function in a leadership role after this story. What what is their function? And I'd like to possibly suggest uh, a couple of different directions. One might be that uh, now Moshe simply has a peer group. Um... Moshe has a group of people who have at least experienced prophecy and if we read the Pesukim carefully it almost seems like they are surrogate prophets of Moshe's prophecy. They are actually have been able to listen into his so to speak conversation with God. One of the amazing things which you notice when you read Perak Yudalef is that in Perak Yud he says goodbye to Chodav ben Ruel hamijani Choten Moshe He said goodbye to somebody called Chodav and Moshe seems really to not want this person to leave. He says to him, uh, you've been so useful for us. You've been so able to advise us. Um, he says, <laughs> You've been like eyes to us. It seems like Moshe had somebody who he was really able to talk to. Able to share the problems. And if Chazal are correct that this is also Yitro, well, we all know Yitro's contribution in terms of how he transformed and revolutionized the judiciary system in the camp. Suddenly now Moshe has 70 people. Now he's lost Yitro, he's lost his prime advisor. He now has 70 people who have also experienced prophecy who are able to discuss with him and uh, he doesn't feel alone. One of the phrases is I'm so alone. He has nobody to share his concerns and cares, no advisors, no no network. And now, having these 70 people who have experienced Moshe's ruach, he now has a peer group who can come back with him to the camp. As it says here, again, an interesting use of the word, where it says, Moshe goes back to the camp, along with the Ziknei Yisrael, Moshe has... A group of 70 people, almost like a Sanhedrin. You can look at the Ramban, who talks about the Sanhedrin parallel here. Like a Sanhedrin, who are able to help him make his decisions and help him in his leadership um, strategy. That is one possibility. But of course, there is a second one. And the second one is that the role of these people are not in terms of the national management, but rather exactly on this uh on this axis of Basar versus Ruach, we now have 70 representatives, according to Rashi um, reading six per tribe, who each go back with a boost of Ruach, they go back to their tribes, and these 70 people are able to inject a spirit of uh, spirit, <laughs> Ruach, into each of their tribes. In other words, uh, if the problem is too little Basar, maybe these 70 elders, are able to uh, provide a certain spirituality, a certain spiritual vision in the camp. Maybe this is exactly the problem. As the people have left Harsinai, the arena of revelation, they feel that revelation is absent. They feel that, just like they have geographically shifted, things are spiritually vacant. And these 70 people are able each to go back to their tribes. Maybe this is the drama of Eldad Umeidad Mitnabim Bamachaneh, but Joshua comes along and says, there are two people prophesying in the camp. That's terrible, Moshe. They're, they're, they're unauthorized. And Moshe says, no, it's not terrible. It's wonderful. He says, I would love it if God would put his spirit on everybody. Maybe the role of the 70 elders is not in the administration, but rather in the spreading of the Ruach, the spreading of the spirituality in the camp, of the word of God in the camp, of the wider sense of vision in the camp, that they should assist to spread the Ruach in order to curtail and to um, be able to rein in the, um, the the malady of the Basar which has afflicted the people. I hope I've given some shape to this uh, wonderfully dramatic uh, chapter. And Be'ezu uh, Hashem, we will meet again next week. Thank you very much and Shabbat Shalom.